this is Richard Wilson speaking. Um, there's some people who know me as Victor Meldrew, but as far as I'm concerned, Victor Meldrew's dead. And thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. Well, hello to everyone listening back home. Welcome to the final ever One Foot Special. Obviously not necessarily the final for this podcast, just out of the trio of specials that's been reviewed. Um, probably going to be holding back the tears for this one, an absolute epic episode of True Proportions. And obviously you know me too well. I'm Tom and with me is the gentleman who appeared as my first ever guest and has subsequently taken part in the fun for a couple of other episodes. It's Ben. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you very much, Tom. It's good to be back. Good to have you back. You were last on for the trial? Yeah, yeah quite a while ago now. Um, and uh, I haven't been keeping up on my one foot in the grave watching, so I've had to properly revise this episode yeah. this morning, actually. So it's all very fresh. Fresh in the um, memory. Fresh in, the, fresh in have, uh, your mind of uh, what we can talk about today, then. Yeah, I have six days off work now, um, including today. Um, so it's nice to spend the first portion of my first day just watching my favorite sitcom not a bad start and then of course you're giving yeah. up your time to record probably a good few hours worth this will be two a two-parter like the the previous couple of specials have been so uh, we'll break it down w- when did you last apart, apart from this morning when did you last think you watched endgame oh i mean i, I mean i have a sort of rotor of sitcoms that i watch i'm a i'm a even says in my twitter bio that i'm a sitcom junkie um, so I watch the same things over and over again, um, and they're on very different cycle times. So I watch, I rewatch One Foot in the Grave very, very often, yeah. um, and that's the same with uh, Waiting for God and uh, Keeping Up Appearances. Uh, and some I watch less often, like Men Behaving Badly and, and those ones. Yeah. So it will be within the last couple of months or so that I, I last watched a round okay. of One Foot in the Grave episodes. Where does Endgame sit for you amongst not just the trio of specials, but overall? in the series probably very highly i think it's um it is one of my favorite episodes primarily because it's quite unusual in the way that it really highlights the different perceptions that margaret and victor have about the world they're in Mm. and that kind of informs the well that that's the thread running through this episode and it's one of those episodes where it really departs from the the sort of common impression of one foot in the grave where victor is a grumpy old man and margaret is his long-suffering wife mm. in this and some other episodes such as dreamland it's the complete opposite and it's yeah. margaret that's persistently and consistently giving victor hell for absolutely yeah. no reason role reversals isn't it yeah um she's she can be quite often quite quite nasty mm. to him and he's almost never nasty back um and in this episode I think she's probably the vilest she's ever been. And I think in this episode, uh, they probably came as close to divorce as they ever have. Um, Strange dynamics, wasn't it? I think even more so than warm champagne. I think this was a real, I mean, as we'll, as we'll discuss later, Margaret accusing Victor of something she absolutely in no way believes he did. Yeah. is quite unforgivable. Yeah. She's lucky mm. that he took that in his stride the way he did. Yeah, it feels like it's probably the most emotional episode so far. So, 
I mean, I guess for many, the final ever episode has got to be the most emotional one for obvious reasons. But yeah, it does bring out a different kind of energy, this one, doesn't it? Like I said, the dynamics between Victor and Margaret for um for parts of the episode are so surreal compared to what we're used to. And um, like I said, we're going to more detail shortly. It's just how they treat one another or how they respond to one another is completely different to usual. There's a bit of a link between this episode and things aren't simple anymore in that Victor's often said, you know, that the world isn't a nice place and Margaret's always almost deliberately been quite oblivious to that and just tried to sort of steer him through life. But it's yeah. only in things aren't simple anymore when she's doing the litter pick that she kind of sees Victor's world staring right back at her. I think I made a note of that, actually. There's, there are some strong comparisons and perhaps Renwick took yeah. that with him into writing the final special, perhaps. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. And mm. isn't it strange? I think this is 97 Christmas special, isn't it? So yes. for a few years off the final series. Yeah, I think the final series came two years later, I think, after this. And this is the uh, Christine Gernon debutises as the director, I believe, for this one. I think she did at did least did? some of this episode. I think Susie Belbin was ill for most of it. Yeah. And this is where Chris Gernon took over. Yes, that's right. And then, um, But I don't know how, what proportion of the episode each director did. Okay, well, are you ready to kick off? Absolutely. So the Maltries have new neighbours in Derek and Betty, a clean slate for Victor and Margaret, but what will become of the fate of, for the new residents in number 17 Riverbank? Victor acquires himself a haunted caravan, much to Margaret's anguish. There are marital strains between the two, which draws to a fatal conclusion for Margaret. As has been the case for the last couple of specials, the opening shots do not have the opening credits. There's no Eric Idle. And once again, it's a well, not-so-focused close-up shot. It's quite blurry in appearance, isn't it? And it pans away, multicoloured. Turns out to be a bed of flowers in a market square. Really gives me a headache the opening of this episode. My eyes don't like it at all because it's. It, I just keep trying to focus on it. Yeah, and it's not nice. But also, this this I like the fact that this episode has, has its own custom theme tune that runs right through the episode. And the incidental music is is unique to this episode. Yes, it's a touch of Chaz and Dave about it in a yeah. small way, kind of blues and jazz. I don't. You say it's not. Is it Ed Welch still? Is it? Is it just incidental music? I think it is music? still Ed Welsh, yeah. I yeah. think it is. It's a busy market square. We don't ever see the, the Beldrews hometown shopping centre, do we? I don't recall many, or maybe a couple of glimpses of, of a town like Victor in the market buying a, his own coat. Yeah. Of, but not we in this way. You see a sort of glimpse of a shopping parade, like where, where Mrs. Warboys threw the, got the hand grenade. Yeah. I think it's the same episode where he got his... his um, he, he he did the armed robbery, accidentally yeah. did an armed robbery, which only Victor could do. Um, but yeah, this is Boscombe High Street. Right. Um, I managed to find on this Christchurch Road in Boscombe, awesome. which is uh, just a little bit outside of Bournemouth. The opening of this scene is that there's some people collecting litter yeah. from the ground and just sort of clearing up the city centre and shoving it all into a van. The area code on the van is 01732, which is Seven Oaks. So I was searching on Google Street View for this street in Seven Oaks and just couldn't find it. But then I saw on the shop, on one of the yeah. shop fronts, it says 0202, which is the old area code for Bournemouth. And that was when I managed to find where she you was. Weren't, you weren't tending porkies when you said you did your homework. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> a rabbit hole and a half, isn't it? Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, bin men collecting rubbish. 
Uh, Margaret passes a um, what we see to be a disabled beggar. Uh, Apparently, good. legless man. Yeah, a legless man played by an again. I did. I used the usual IMDb. Someone called Alistair Ross is the only appearance he's ever been in anything. I don't think he's been in stage or any other television show. It must have been. I always assume when it's sort of a complete one-off, it could just be someone Renwick or the cast knows well enough that they could just do this one-off stint. But Mark Han- hands some loose change to this person before heading into the opticians, which is quite uh, not so cleverly titled opticians. The BBC <laughs> passed not the chance to offer free advertising to Specsavers. But, and obviously it might become ironic in the moment that she's heading into Specsavers after handing, handing some money to this disabled person. Um, I'm amazed he was credited for that performance. Actually, not not that I'm denigrating his performance, but no. minor roles like that often go uncredited. Yeah, that's quite right, and it's it is hit and miss with all that sort of thing. Yeah, the the bin men drive off, and of course, um, they haven't shut the shutters haven't come down, so all the litter goes everywhere, <laughs> which is uh, proven to be a complete waste of time. The money not going to good use, or the local taxpayers right there. It's silly. Well, on on the bright side, it'll give Victor something to complain about next time he's in town. Yes, yes, that's quite right. Yeah, he does like his litter rants, doesn't he? <laughs> Straight away, we see a couple of coppers approaching the disabled beggar, where you're initially feeling sorry for him until it re- very a quick reveal that he's a con man. He's got a pair of uh, working uh, legs, and um, he has the correct number of legs. Yes. Yeah, he did well to disguise that actually with these sort of false stuffed limb thighs sticking out around his waist so of course yeah margaret moments ago walked into the optician so just saying maybe a sight really is is going so um perhaps she might have spotted that if uh, her vision was a bit sharper maybe so that, that backing music is still playing at this point it's almost like a little montage but of just one scene it's that sort of soundtrack you're saying it does spell sort of silliness and error prone shenanigans type thing and um where margaret walks out of this the opticians now and she bumps into uh well who we now know to be their new neighbour. Yeah, yeah. Marianne McLaughlin. Very friendly woman approaches her. Yeah, Betty. Um, she's, they clearly um, know each other. Yeah, it's the replacement to the trenches. It looks like they're having some sort of dinner party arranged for the Meldrews to come round. I don't know if it's to properly introduce themselves or, or not, but they seem quite friendly already, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this she just wants to get to know the new neighbours. Um, they haven't really figured out the history yet, which of course they will, given the sort of self-published item that Patrick leaves behind. But she's yeah. coming up to them absolutely loaded up with shopping and, and we learn that Margaret and Victor are going for dinner at theirs and that they're the new neighbours. Yeah. And one of the things I really like about this is uh, Betty asks Margaret, is there anything that upsets Victor's stomach? And he says the TV commercial for Scottish Widows. <laughs> yeah, of course uh, it Which was. I YouTubed, actually, in preparation for this show. And it is a really cloying advert. There was a, There's several of them throughout the 80s and 90s, and they're all pretty much the same. Very much in line with something that would annoy Victor. There's no question yeah. about it. And Betty is obviously completely, well, they're, they're new neighbours, so she hasn't really probably acclimatised to Victor's ways yet. So Margaret downplays Victor's you know, fussiness with, with food, and she said he can eat basically anything. He's got black, a black hole with oh, tonsils. Yeah, well, that's quite an image, isn't it? And <laughs> known plastic cutlery disappeared down there. I think I wrote Betty is charmed by Victor for once. Like she's She sort of refers to them as normal neighbours, aren't they? I don't know if I misheard that. It sounds like so far 
they're quite suited to one another as as neighbours. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure the same was true. Well, I guess it wasn't true actually with Patrick and Pippa because as, as the first time they met, they just got funneled into their house and then not allowed to leave again in in yeah. Dubai. But all the signs are good at this point. They, they seem like a perfectly normal couple to Betty and, and Derek. Slowly, the, these sort of drips of bizarrity just slowly hmm. start to disrupt Betty's impression. It seems like the planning of dinner parties is a bit more clearer this episode because I think it was a Wisdom the Witch, or was it Starbound? The Trenches visited to have a meal. The Meldrews thought they were going to theirs and it was a bit of a mix-up, but this time around it seems to be quite clear. The meal arranged was 7 o'clock. Margaret's eager to get back home. I think they got some a painter starting work that morning, so Margaret's anxious that Victor won't be back in time. I think he's, she says Victor's popped up to buy a, a new answer machine. I just wondered what happened to the answer machine that Margaret's mother left them. That's a bit of a shame ah, to replace, course. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I wonder if they kept the tape. Presumably they kept the tape with a I would hope. I would hope they did. Yeah, I would hope they yeah. uh, kept that. Yeah, she's sort of. she looks very sort of ominous at this point. Like knowing him, anything could happen. I mean, he's only gone out to to buy an answering machine. It's not as if he gets into trouble every time he goes out, but she's obviously has a bit of trepidation. Like, what kind of trouble is he going to get into? Yeah, which um, immediately cuts to Victor at an identity parade at the police station. So uh, straight away we're hit with some more, well, even more comedy because it's already a funny episode. We have Victor and um, other men wearing basically the same outfits, cream-coloured coats, caps, similar age, being identified by an elderly lady with um, obviously a company with a copper. This music is still played, isn't it? This incidental-type music. Yeah, all the dialogue between the old lady and the copper is is kind of whispered. You, you only you can, sort of yeah. you just hear what she's saying and the say, first thing she says, just can you it. ask them? Yeah, can you ask them to take their caps off? Yeah, which, um, um, music's the... still going on and over this, and of course they all do. And then she says, I can't make out exactly what she says here, but the result is they all open their coats like a flasher. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in Victor. the end, she, yeah, how undignified. He was only going out to buy something and this is the trouble he's got himself into but the old lady shrugs she doesn't recognize any of them victor's no. in the clear no now. yeah and that that's quite a, a relatively brief scene isn't it then we're brought back to the meldrew house and um victor's there setting up the answer machine he's purchased that morning and it, I, I wrote it's quite unstereotypical actually this bit where victor's are actually reading instructions on setting because some blokes and me include i don't always read the instructions but victor's very much trying to follow the instructions for this machine which is a i think that's how he pronounces it <laughs> japanese yeah. branded machine and it's brilliant to see him victor trying to follow the instructions to, to record a personal greeting and he follows them absolutely to the letter isn't he he's, oh he's, he's press ogum and speak three inches from the microphone and then he yeah. gets out his tape measure and then puts his very stilted message in. This is Victor Meldrew. <laughs> to leave a message, please speak after the toast. With his face right up and into the machine. If that message he records is the final one he uses, then future callers are just going to put the phone down and not leave a message, aren't they? They're going to be almost petrified of the, the tone of his voice. But I was sad enough to count how many seconds it took him from pressing Ogum to actually speaking. And it's about seven or eight seconds. Because obviously as an actor, he's waiting for the audience to stop laughing so he can actually speak. It's obviously about comedy, timing, whatever the phrase is. Uh, I just love that if, if someone has rang or rings the Meldrews in the future, there's going to be a, quite a long pause before they can actually hear a response. But, the first um, thing they'll hear is the 
deployment of a tape measure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, like you say, they're very stiff-like, unwarmly messaged. He leaves. And uh, do you know, yeah. he, he, he messages, this is Mr. Meldrew, as opposed to, thank you for calling Mr. and Mrs. Meldrew, or the Meldrews. It's sort of like it's his own personal greeting thought did, he say, bit... did he say mister i thought he said victor maybe i don't know nevertheless wherever, this is where... victor meldrew yeah but when when no, you but yeah when, i see what you mean it's when not you say victor the meldrews yeah this is the meldrews but yeah whether yeah. he said victor or mister i probably that's my notes taking qualities i probably misheard but nevertheless picking up on every little detail as ever i am <laughs> anyway so yeah then he then he just decides to play the back play the message back to see what it sounds like and it, it just plays him back this japanese dialogue um, so he's like turned into bloody Japanese. Don't know what he pressed, but it, yeah, unless unless he invented machine learning long before <laughs> the you, uh, the twenty tens. I went down the rabbit hole of finding out who that the voice actor would have been for that message, and he, oh, really? this person's wow. credited. It's. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly. Ashi Kazura, and uh, sadly passed away quite young, age 63. But I thought it was quite forward thinking of Renwick to use like an Asian actor because uh, in this day and age, you might be accused of all sorts for not using an Asian actor. Perhaps I don't know. I don't want to go too <laughs> too identity politics with this, but I just thought it's quite good, you know, use someone of Asian descent, shall we say, or part Asian or. Again, I'm getting, digging a hole just talking about it. I um, know, <laughs> <laughs> can't believe it. I should have just shut up, really, shouldn't I? Got to be careful. But to be, to be yeah. honest, I've um, often thought of, because I have quite a lot of Chinese and Japanese colleagues, I'd quite like to uh, have a translation of what they're saying. And the same in, um, is it Descent into the Maelstrom, where he goes and gets the Chinese food? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and I'd really like a translation of the, the dialogue between the Chinese customer and, and the, the, the Chinese restaurant owner, the Chinese takeaway owner. Doesn't um on their subtitles? Do you think that would might give us the translation? Or I don't know. I never tried. I probably should try. Um, I've never tried. I don't have access to the subtitles, unfortunately, because my my copies are ripped from a DVD and I didn't import the subtitles. Ah, uh, when I recorded the Algarve, I think uh, Darren was saying um who I had on that he put the subtitles on for the Portuguese police coppers trying to communicate with Victor, Margaret, and um Jean, and th- there's no official translation otherwise it would probably give it it would obviously be a bit of a spoiler wouldn't it if they uh mm. anyway i suppose the comedy is in in not understanding what they're yeah, saying so absolutely yeah yeah uh, makes it slightly funnier but yeah while he's fighting with this thing margaret comes in through the back door sort of whining about something again another classic i think she says as she comes in yeah. ranting and raving around the house she goes you know you're back are you yeah like, yeah i've been back for half an hour yeah, um, she's, and he lays the story of the identity parade and she doesn't look in the slightest bit surprised. <laughs> no, and Victor's sort of almost brushed it off his back. Well, whatever the saying is, he he's put it behind him because he interrupts himself yeah. by because he's still trying to work this machine as he's recounting his morning. Uh, yeah. So he's a little distracted whilst he's trying to read those instructions. But yeah, Vic, uh, Margaret, is something has got her go to punch. She is not a happy lady. She's uh, not, but he's busy and he finds the English operation switch. And then... Great line in it coming up. <laughs> you have to be Stephen Bloody Hawking to operate these things. Um, and then it just keeps repeating this, please enter your ID code, please enter your ID code. I like how he says, speak of the devil, because it does sound like an <laughs> electronic <laughs> yeah. voice, doesn't it? It and does, rather. So yeah, so Victor asks Margaret how the opticians went. Victor's machine is malfunctioning as Margaret's trying to respond. And of course, Margaret snaps at Victor. Please enter your ID, enter 
You might just have noticed. You might have noticed. Will you shut that bloody thing off? Pinky and Perky and Macklins. The machine is absolutely buggered at this point. Comes up the phrase Pinky and Perky at Macklands. Maplins. Maplins. My hearing is left to be desired. I had to Google that. Store. Yeah, it closed down, I think, didn't it, a few years ago, Maplin? Yeah, it wasn't. I couldn't recollect it. Some of these topical things that come up, not topical, but Mm. historical entertainment shows or stand-up comedians that are referenced. Quite often I'm I'm embarrassed just trying to find out the the origins of them, but... um, Still yeah, I've never funny. watched Pinky and Perky, but I've I've been into quite a few branches of Maplin anyway. Um, but we learned that she that Victor must have come in the front door. Yeah, oh, absolutely, he's come in the front door for once. Yeah. Had he come in the back door, what would he be would a have scene? Notice the painter at work. Hmm. Um, and she uh... advises them that it might be a good idea to go out and just see how he's doing. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favourite bits. So he goes out. Opens the back door and just immediately looks up at the house, expecting to see a painter hard at work. Sees <laughs> no one. So he, and he just turns around and does a double take, and then we cut to a this young artist who's doing actually a very very nice picture of his house. Yeah, yeah, he's a Sat. very young artist. Yeah, that's um... very sedately painting. It's it's beautiful. I'd love that. I, I was I think I said to you on Twitter recently. It's it's one of the props I would like to have, and I hope it's still up in that house. I hope the people who have the house got to keep that picture because it's really nice. Yeah, and it is a great. It's it's that classic thing where, where in any show where there's someone seemingly drawing something, illustrating uh, a picture, they're just holding the brush or pencil just, and they've just conveniently finished it. Mm. I'm not convinced by that painter that he just painted it. You know, in, in sort of bringing myself into the world of Victor um, and Margaret. Is it, I don't know. If it's just the act. I don't. It's, I don't know if this person's an actor, but it's not. It's funny. The joke's funny, but it's just not. It's just it's not convincing to me. I'm being nitpicky, I know. But it may um, well have just been a photograph of of the house that's been run through some sort of. Software. Oh yeah. I don't know if that no. kind of thing happened though. Whether somebody actually came along and did a oh, yeah. really nice picture someone's, of the house before. Someone's done a taken a picture and drawn, like you said. But uh, at, like as that very brief cameo by that, almost like an extra. Just didn't seem convincing to me that he would even convince Victor he's, he's drawn it. I'm just I'm reading far too into this joke, but it's was still he funny. Was, was the artist credited? Uh, I didn't make a note of it, so perhaps I think he is. I think he is down as artist or painter. Ah, good. Um, but great little joke, and it, I guess it's a similar kind of cock up to the time Victor ordered the the. A taxi and tricks on the roof, and he orders a toy car. Is that, is that kind of cock up, isn't it? If you recall, yeah, he makes them frequently, doesn't he? Mm. Did you notice the garden gnomes at the bottom of the the lawn? I did not. How many were there? Well, there was just the one, and in the uh... I think in Starbound there was a garden gnome where Ray Winston goes into the what the garden gnome Starbound for Ray Winston. Yeah, I think you're right. There is there is one. Yeah, so is, near the shed, isn't there? Yeah. Are they are they the same from Who's Listening? I don't know, but uh, I would hope so. I mean, he still he wanted a garden gnome in Who's Listening. Yeah. He just didn't want two hundred and sixty three, so he probably kept one. <laughs> Maybe it was the one he got from Mister and Missus Burkett. Yeah. The only one that was a gift. 
that um, music that's played as Victor goes around the back, it doesn't ask that remind me of a Jonathan Creek type backing music because by by now, 97, Jonathan Creek's been released, hasn't it? There um, were two series of Jonathan Creek already out by the time this yeah, was broadcast. Um, and I think I read in the Richard Webber book that he almost wasn't going to deliver this episode because he was wanted to crack on with series three of Jonathan Creek. Mm. And he was kind of struggling to put this story together, but he, eventually it kind of came together. Yeah. Um, but you're right about the music. I've, I noticed a couple of occasions in this episode where I thought that music would fit perfectly in the Jonathan Creek episode. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It just could easily do a crossover. I've always gutted that Richard Wilson and Alan Davis didn't sort of do a swap over, a, at least a cameo role in one another's shows. Obviously, Annette Crosby and um, Dory Mantle have appeared in Jonathan Creek, but. Um, not the main man. It's a shame. Never do you mind. know if um, did Ed Welsh score Jonathan Creek? Do you know? I think he might have done actually. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be the same. It's the, we've got this, we're talking about the same writer with the same kind of style of. Well, I don't know if Renwick is really directing as well as writing or at least co-directing, but I'm not surprised the the music's similar. He certainly sticks his nose in a lot. That's that's what I. Yeah. Have, yeah. uh, have come to understand. Um, yeah. And said in, again in the in the Richard Webber book for this episode, you know, talking about how Richard's uh, during rehearsals, Richard started very well, and all the lines were on point and exactly as as David had had yeah. written them. And of course, Annette Crosby was as pin sharp as she always is. Yeah. But apparently, the longer you get into rehearsals and towards recording, uh, Richard's delivery of the lines, he sort of slips back in. He slips out of Victor and into Richard. Yeah, and he has yeah. to be, keep being told to no, please reinvoke uh, Victor here. You're you're slipping back into Richard. Yeah, yeah. But it can be quite frustrating. I read similar. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's so interesting that book. I mentioned it every episode. It's uh, it's a great little insight into the um, behind the scenes. I noticed um, yeah. on the wall again. It's not, nothing you bother to look out for, but I, there's like a very bizarre photo frame. And the photo frame just looks like wallpaper with like an old tiny little black and white photo in the middle. It's about, it's sort of Where about se seven minutes in and you can see on top of like a cabinet, bang, it's, it's sort of in the top left corner of the, of the frame on literally the, of your screen on seven minutes. On exactly seven minutes, okay. Exactly seven minutes. You probably could see it oh. before that. What is that? Is that, is that like it might be like little cuttings or something but then there's like a little random black and white photo it's it's i mean it's nothing nobody would be bothered to even look at that part of the the screen but i just oh, there's a lampshade in the bottom left corner of the is it what a mirror it doesn't look like a mirror to me because there's there's something i don't know it looks like a photo frame with a print like a pattern and then yeah, there's a random black and white photo. I just thought I thought I pick your brains and wonder what the hell I don't that know was. what that is. I've never noticed that before. That's really bizarre. <laughs> yeah, don't know. I don't, doesn't matter. Because it matches obviously. the wallpaper on the other wall. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Don't know. What a strange thing to put up. <laughs> I know. I've been I mean, thinking. it's not as bad as the the the, the pig, but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, the pig. Yeah. <laughs> Margaret brings up a very recent anecdote. I think it might have been the day before about them, them nearly getting stabbed near the staircase because a couple of blokes yeah, came to use the toilet. It's, it? it's yeah. just out of left field, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. 
So we're back in the lounge at this point, and Victor's yeah. sort of fiddling with all the answering machine packaging, and she's reading the newspaper on the sofa, sort of boiling with this sort of vi- thinly veiled rage, like she she does through most of this episode. And then, yeah, we said yesterday you nearly got stabbed to death in your own staircase, and says that he goes around looking for enemies. Yeah, so it's which, a bit of a throwaway. I don't know if that that scene maybe appeared in 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 an episode or in this episode and was cut. Or... Yeah, it could be a cut um scene like you're saying but it just comes left field like out of nowhere yeah but it does bring a, a rant in response from victor when what we said earlier he says you just don't see it the things that go on in broad daylight yeah we yeah. see this this phrase that margaret keeps repeating sheer paranoia yeah try and almost sort of <laughs> to use a, a very modern word sort of gaslight victor into thinking he's being unreasonable yeah yeah in actual fact it's her she is, is so deep. irritable now, isn't she? Um, yeah. Um, because, so he's he's like, yeah. because he's mentioned daylight, it's triggered yeah. Margaret to bring up the fact that there's this caravan that he's purchased and it's blocking the vast majority of their precious sunlight into their lounge. So this is clearly why at this stage Margaret is irritable. So it does explain her, um, her, her mood, her behaviour. It explains some of it, I think, yeah. Um, so we learn we learn that he's bought a caravan um, and he's like, plenty of people do this without going to war. Uh, again, it's this is really close. We don't usually see them arguing with each other like this. Yeah. So calmly, mm. normally they, they sort of shout at each other and it's kind of fine because they're just ranting and raving at each other. But the fact that they're having this quite calm conversation suggests that the, the sort of crack mm. that's appearing in their marriage is a little bit deeper i think yeah um, and she says that she calls it a rusting hulk and then mm. it has all the charm of an iron lung and he's insisting that all it needs is a good spring clean um but again she's kind of like she does in a lot of episodes she's trying to stifle his interests yeah she's um, she's th- th- that iron lung i, I don't line, know what it... she wants from him does she want him to just sit in a chair and just be an old man watching tv all well day? this is it this is this is what i've said well others others have said you know she Early retirement was forced upon him at uh, you know when he was in his late fifties, close to sixty. She's encouraged him from day one to find a hobby to keep busy, and every time he does, she is not in favour of it. So yeah, he can't quite win. And no, some of these really one can. some of these one liners that Margaret throws at him, technically very funny and clever, but the tone is different, and mm. she's just that much more sort of pissed off than she usually would be. And it brings a certain response from Victor. The vibe is very different. But it's broken by a, one of my favourite gags where he, he happens to just glance at the writing on the, the answering machine box that he's packing away. Oh, for the love of... Can you believe this? What it says in this box? I've only just noticed that chap in the electrical shop. See what he's scrawled all over the top here? Look, Meldrews a turd. <laughs> Yeah, what a great joke this is, though. What what a clever. She, she slams the newspaper shut, sort of rolling her eyes, like, no, it, of course it doesn't say that. And she sort of gets up and then closes the other side of the box and then reveals that it actually says, Meldrew, Saturday to be collected. <laughs> <laughs> Sheer paranoia. 
she thinks her point is proven at that point. That is a clever gag. And that is very quick of Margaret to basically resolve his paranoia in that moment. It doesn't work, though, because he's inspecting it then and he says there's definitely, definitely yes, a full stop. stop after turd. Or is it a fly dropping? Yeah, what, what I don't think happening? I've seen a fly dropping, but there's a nod to, just thinking about that, there's a nod to uh, Jonathan Creek with the harvest fly as the comma. Oh, in, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 of the Sands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a great little... Um, maybe that's where you got the idea. What, had that episode been out by then? Because that was Series 3, wasn't it? Uh, that was Series 4. four. So, it, it was so yeah. yeah. That's an idea possibly unintentionally copied over or just he thought, I'll use that again. That's brilliant. Maybe. Yeah, we cut to number 17. Yeah. We're um, fully introduced now to the neighbours, Derek and Betty. So Derek played by the late, great Tim Brooke Taylor. Obviously, most famous for the goodies. I'm sorry, I'm not a clue. And I didn't know he voiced Eric in Banana Man. Did you used to watch Banana Man? I did, I think. Yeah. But I didn't know that either. I didn't know. I didn't watch I... much children's TV as a kid, to be honest. Well, yeah, I was very surprised. To... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Were you watching the sitcoms? Uh, yes, uh, certainly from my early teens, Um my first exposure to sitcoms was my mother just wanted me to shut up. Yeah. So she sat me down in front of Bottom and then Faulty Towers and just said, put these on, you'll like them. And then I was just a sitcom junkie from uh, there yeah. on. Yeah, it's a very positive, friendly atmosphere. We've got Derek talking, I think, mostly about his ex. I think he's, he's obviously, I think Derek and Betty have met fairly late on in life-ish. He had an, an ex who... Um, Oh, as he's, he's censoring his bad language, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's a very twee character, isn't he? He won't even say the word sod. He spells it out instead. Yes, I'm afraid it was all a pain in the ARSE, really. My first marriage, where it worked out, she was a money-grabbing little SOD. Victor's trying to run with it, but he gets it the wrong way around with saying... And took everything. Left me well without a P.O.T. to piss in. <laughs> Get a word, Victor. Oh, I think he did that deliberately. Do you think he did? I think he did, yeah. I just thought it was Victor yeah. being clumsy, but yeah, <laughs> very, very witty of he gets, Victor. He gets a flash of a look of evil from Margaret when he does that. But yeah, I think, <laughs> I think he was, I think he was trying to subvert the form there. Yeah, because Victor's foul-mouthed, and if 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 Derek and Betty are going to live next to Victor, they're going to have to get used to foul-mouthed language because he's shouting "you bastard" in the lawn in just yeah. a few scenes time. So Derek is talking about his, I don't know, his ex-wife who'd um, cheated on him with a. With the windscreen wiper, which is just a out of nowhere one-liner, of course, causes confusion. Just someone who cleans your car in the, tra- the in in the traffic. I just love how Derek says he's picking up clues to this if, to the affair, even the squidgy ruts in her bottom he took for cellulite, and all of this sort of caused untold stress for for Derek, which sort of plants that seed for later. But he's a very relaxed individual now, very happy with Betty. And for a living, he he's a cartoonist for magazines and newspapers, which McVitie's is uh, view. McVitie's view. So little the little man who comments on the news while subtly gesturing to clarifies that. Sorry, it's the little man who comments on the news. Betty sort of subtly gestures to to Derek, saying this is what he does because Victor and Margaret are the, are the little unsure of, of of McVitie's view, but then they are reminded. Ah, oh, they do actually know this cartoon uh, drawing that appears yeah. in the paper, and Victor sort of drops himself in it, doesn't he? Oh, that miserable old twerp is always mooning about something. <laughs> He's very funny. <laughs> so you're that McVitie. Where do you get your ideas from? I, I don't suppose we'll be seeing much of him for the next couple of weeks. So he doesn't realise his face on him. Without a hint of irony. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then, then he asks Derek where um, he gets his ideas from. 
and then Margaret immediately makes him change the subject. And it's not clear to me whether he was there's any kind of connection there at all. I mean, he clearly doesn't get his ideas from Victor because he doesn't know him. And if he did, he probably wouldn't have invited him out for dinner. Yeah. So I just wondered why Margaret sort of stepped in to stop him revealing where he got his ideas from. Unless Victor's just so widely known in this locality that it somehow inadvertently ended up in his comments without him ever having met him or heard of him by name. I don't know. Perhaps, but, you know. We're overthinking again. I know. So, as you say, Margaret tries to change the subject uh, to say that um, there'll be no time for more illustrations because they're obviously Derek and Betty are going to be renting out a lovely cottage in Norfolk for a fortnight. So Betty asks if they're going to stay on the topic of holidays. Are going to stay in your caravan? And again, the subject has changed by Margaret. Um, it's all very charming in it. For, just for once, they've got neighbours. I know Mr. Swain is lovely, but he's, it's, it's not so natural in atmosphere with mr sweeney he's lovely but it's victor margaret often he's a little bit more eccentric really yeah i think um, yeah although i do like the fact that i don't know whether owen brennan did this deliberately but very early on nick because he because his job is to always be with the sort of elderly and infirm he kind of talks to everybody as if they're elderly and infirm. So at the start of the series, he'd talk to Victor like this and he'd be there and yeah. I'm going out with this old lady and we're in this play and whatever. And he, yeah. he talked to them as if, he, as if they were deaf and he was sort of patronising them. Whereas from this sort of era onwards and right through series six, they're starting to be, be a little bit more equal, really. He's yes. talking to them like they're fellow adults rather than yeah. old people next to him. That's and I have right. no idea if that was deliberate or not. Well, possibly. I mean, that, that's quite an interesting observation. Yeah, he's all, he does talk to, like you said, everyone like they are maybe hard of hearing or mm. not quite with it. Just so used to doing it. But maybe maybe the fact that his mother died, now he's suddenly realised that, you know, he doesn't necessarily... Because that's the only person he really talked to on a regular basis was his mother. And he spoke to his mother like that. And now his yeah. mother's gone. Maybe that's he's, all he's got. Yeah. a little bit more yeah. social and human. Yeah, more on uh, Mr. Sweeney later because that's quite an interesting yeah. development with that. But things are going swimmingly for once with these neighbours until Derek drops in at something about a, a comment about you just can't goes to show everything you can't. You read in books. Yeah, which Betty retrieves like an, an anti Victor manual. It's got Victor on the front of it. It's like a, a dossier of all the mishaps and misdemeanors, which is so frustrating. So Patrick's <laughs> obviously left this for the new neighbours just to warn them of this crazy individual be living next to and rather unfairly writing down all of the experiences they've had with the Meldrews and Victor's head's on top of like a Jolly Roger skull. Yeah, Victor and crossbones. I love that. <laughs> and he recounts some of the tales of Victor trying to get into um, Patrick and Pippa's bed one night and the naked man swinging like Tarzan. So I suppose that's Mr. Foskett, the crab incident. Yeah, the man who flew away, the crab, the pit and the pendulum and uh, yeah, the, the who will buy scene where he's is it forcing him at knife point to get into his bed or something? What's the way they put it? What's the um? I just can't think of the, the time he tried to get into bed with Patrick and Pippa. Oh, my mind's gone blank. Is that a made-up story for us, the viewer, to laugh at, or was that a previous episode? No, where there was that a was that was who will buy when when they met. Patrick when they tried to Pippa. force them to stay. Yeah. Yeah, because I thought that. But I thought there's nothing really to do with trying to get into their bed because obviously there'll be some jokes later on in this episode where they kind of those those anecdotes become become rea- reality for betty 
Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. That seed's been planted, and she she won't forget, and then it yeah. comes to life. Well, to um, be fair to them, they haven't judged Victor at this stage. Like they've got this manual, and if anything, they're probably judging Patrick. Not that they know him, but they're going. He's a bit of a loony, sort of writing these stories about this seemingly nice gentleman called Victor Meldrew. They're yeah, not we just assume him. that Patrick's the nutter because I mean, you'd have to be a bit of a nutter to write a manual for how to cope with your crazy next door neighbor yeah. that said it's exactly the kind of thing victor would have done as a sort of 40 odd year old if he had a nightmare neighbor so yeah yes yeah, perhaps cements the further cements the idea that patrick is just a sort of proto victor the scene ends with a, a brilliant sort of false polite laughter from victor and margaret but i think because they've just been reading parts of this manual and betty and derek are just just disregarding it like it's a load of nonsense but of course they're embarrassed so they just let off this brilliant little false laughter that Richard Wilson's great at doing he's done it a few times throughout the series it's like something out of William Burroughs <laughs> what did he do go around sniffing fire extinguishers <laughs> <laughs> that the scene ends there poor old Victor though it's his first impressions I mean, I'm sure they've met before this this scene but this is their proper get to know our neighbours night and that's just not fair in my book. But there you go. So later in the evening, uh, there's a close-up shot of Victor reading the McVitie's view, illustration of Derek McVitie looking at a pile of junk on the floor. More bloody junk mail is the caption, uh, which brings a little chuckle from Victor. That does take me back to, uh, do you remember the episode where Victor is is complaining that the neighbours are littering the garden, Patrick and Pippa's garden, and then he posts litter back. Oh, yes. Um, um, uh, the Broken Reflection. Broken Reflection. That that sketch is, to me, taken str- almost straight out of Broken Reflection, partly. But maybe not. That's just my theory. I know there's plenty of times he's moaned about junk, but just the fact it's on the doorstep. And also, I suppose, a little bit from Starbound with all the, uh, the false limbs. <laughs> yeah. Corsets <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> bit of a theme in these in these specials, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, they do have a lot of problems with the letterbox, not not to mention the fact that it shreds their newspapers. Yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so Victor's reflecting on a pleasant night. So it looks like whatever was in that manual has not changed the opinion of uh, Derek and Betty's opinion of the Meldrews. Margaret comes in, spots a faulty bottle of shaving foam. Victor's quite clear that, you know, don't move it because it's faulty and she still picks it up. And, yeah, uh, maybe you're just not everywhere. pressing it properly. And so it just sort of erupts in her hand. Yeah, props to the props department for getting that little item, though, to sort of yeah. squirt on demand. Very good. And, then, and she has another dig at him here as well, doesn't she? She says, oh, that's got to go back. It's got a faulty nozzle. And she goes, oh, well, when are you going back? <laughs> yeah, she's... Just yeah, leave she's, him alone. Yeah, I know. Come on. She needs Just a, give it a rest. She needs an early night, at least, yeah. <laughs> she does. Margaret also reflects on the nice new neighbours and how nice it's not to have one to position the laundry to spell out rude words. <laughs> I think she... Uh, I think Margaret's been paranoid where she claims that Patrick has previously left a, a glove with the middle finger sticking up on their washing line. So it's the first time I've, I've heard Margaret speaking ill of Patrick and Pippa as neighbours, but this is the sort of mood she's in, mm. in a bit of a foul mood. And it will almost certainly have been Patrick that did that if it did Oh, happen. God, yeah. Pippa, yeah. Pippa, would have, Pippa probably wouldn't have even known about it. Nothing to do with Pippa. They'll have chucked some clothes away if they were moving and Patrick will have yeah. had the idea. Yeah, but, but Margaret still tries to be positive for once. Let's get on the right side of them. A nice, fresh beginning, a nice, a clean slate. And that's when she talks about the, the two fingers on the glove prank left by Patrick. Did we know what the message was? Because there, there was a message in socks, wasn't there? And then a glove at the end. Did they say what the message was? I don't 
I didn't write anything down for that. Okay. I think she I just mean, said I rude, rude this words. this episode a couple of hours ago, and I can't remember already. <laughs> yeah, for me, about a week and a half ago. I've definitely, it's definitely out of my head. Yeah. As is ever the case with Victor, he's suffering a bit of wind or a bit of build-up of greenhouse gases, as he phrases it. Blames it on his yeah. old age. I don't know if he's just been a bit of a hypochondriac, but he does a, almost like a Ministry of Silly Walks. He, he walks out the room, and this seems to come out of nowhere as well, but he goes into the bathroom, and as, as he would presumably going to uh, flush out the system we hear the i think the hawaii 50 theme song and i didn't know that i had to look that up because obviously it's a well-known tune isn't it but i thought i couldn't remember the name of it philharmonic concert orchestra and mike townsend again i didn't know that but i had to look it up why was he being so polite about it i guess i mean to to put it crudely he was going out of the room to fart wasn't he so he just had to cover the noise up with with for some reason hawaii 50 here we go another blast from the past As he comes back in, in the fact that he's got a ghetto blaster at the ready next to the door, this isn't a new thing. Yay! Um, And then he comes back in without so much as a buy or leave, puts the ghetto blaster down, just goes too much fizzy water. water, (laughs) Stick to still in the future. Yeah, I, I when I first watched this, I thought he was he had diarrhea, but it's just he's been very polite and very thoughtful to mm. not only leave the room but to cover up the noise. I mean, Margaret's stressed enough as it is without hearing or smelling that. Saying so, of talking of noises, we uh, we cut to the middle of the night. Margaret's snoring her head off, making her own noises. Victor's wide awake. There's this sort of weird, discordant, ominous music playing over. Um, and eventually Victor just has to retreat to the spare bedroom. Yeah, I don't know if they've got yeah, two spare rooms. Uh, do you think this is two? They have, yeah. It's a three-bedroom house. Three-bedroom, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there's a different There's the setup. one where they store all the magic nonsense in, yeah. in the back bedroom. And then the, there's their bedroom at the front. And the, the window above the front door is the, the spare bedroom where Alfred stayed in the broken reflection. Yes. They've since replaced the, <laughs> the wardrobe <laughs> that he, he broke. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, we don't often see that room. We... No, it's um, a very rare shot, isn't the other it? Room. Yeah. yeah. Well, the following day, we've got a lovely shot of this um, of Riverbank outside the Meldries. Is this uh, caravan, this infamous caravan that Victor's purchased, and uh, he's uh, giving a good Hoover out. He obviously wants to make good use of it. Out of nowhere, Mister Swaney, I say out of nowhere. He does live next door, to be fair. Comes in and greets Victor. Mister Swaney is put on some put on some timber, isn't he? He has, yeah, yeah. Fat Nick. Fat, and he's, um, but it's not. In this, we won't know why he's. Bit, I mean, again, I, I remember watching this as it aired '97. I just thought it was strange how they didn't reference it, and I know they reference it later, very briefly, very subtly, the possible reason why he put on Mike. But I just thought it's so out of nowhere. That's a lot of um, money spent on his on this sort of fat suit, isn't it? To be uh, just for something, it's not small. It's, it's quite a, a big reason why, but it's a lot of effort gone. I think. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what purpose it. You know, what narrative purpose it serves that. Nick is suddenly fat. I don't, I don't. Yeah. It sort of crops up later on, as you say, when they're talking about the fact that his mother's no longer around. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of caused him to to put weight on. But it was a hell of an investment to go to for what yeah. is really only a few seconds of of dialogue. Yeah. Um, and he was in this fat suit, and apparently Owen started getting uh, sort of typecast as as fat guys. He started getting cast. I read that. Casting yeah. Fat guys as well. Poor so bugger, yeah. Like, it's because well, it was so well done. I mean, I, I didn't realise in this. Yeah. It's so convincing, yeah. right? It's, oh. 
Like I said, I thought the actor had just put on weight. I, I thought he just put on the stomach, and I missed the reference about his mother later on. So I thought, oh wow, yeah. But he, Mr. Sweeney, does open up with one of his classic sort of suggestible euphemisms. Morning, Mr. Meldrew. Hard at it. Ah, yes. Good morning. Been quite a while since you had an upright, so your wife was saying. <laughs> Every time he just opens up with one of these lines, it's remarkable. And I Julian love how Claire, Victor... Clary would be proud, wouldn't he? <laughs> I love how Victor takes the briefest of offence at Mr. Sweeney <laughs> before he realises that he's just ref- referring to the, the upright Hoover. Mm. I also thought he might be meant, meant the actual caravan being upright and not because it's a clearly old caravan, damp and mouldy. So I thought he, he might have been just using the term of phrase, but he literally means the Hoover. He does. And uh, there's a bit of a conversation, Vic, you know, Victor asks how Mr. Swaney is. And yeah, we do rather casually learn that, yeah, his brother's passed away, very sad, and he's been having a clear out. So um, Mr. Swaney has been clearing out his mother's possessions, and one of which is a boomerang, which is he gives to Victor. I mean, I don't know if this is just typical one foot in the grave, spontaneous weirdness. Why the hell is it a boomerang being passed on, or is there a gag I'm missing? But I think that family just had a lot of weird habits. I mean, Auntie Min had a slug gun. Um, <laughs> she used to, his mother used to do fishing out of the window. Yeah. So it's not Fly surprising fishing. to me at all that she has the boomerang. I mm. mean, she she probably used to ski and shoot and God knows what else. Yeah. She was probably a wrestler. I don't know. But yeah, the fact that she's got a boomerang isn't surprising to me at all, given everything else she does and how weird she is. Um, but they had to knock this up, apparently. Again, in yeah, the, I read that, the, yeah. The Weber book. Because yeah. an actual real boomerang just didn't look boomerangy enough. So they made this yeah. sort of fake, knocked up yeah. sort of carpet yeah. of the, you know, this one of the set builders just made up this boomerang shaped thing and put some weird sort of hieroglyphs on it. Uh, it does yeah. look very good. It's very nice. I'm not sure why Vic, why Nick thought Victor would want it, but whatever. Just... He he accepts it graciously. Yeah. And he speak... suddenly sort of changes tack really quickly and says, so what are you going to do? Get a priest in or what? Yeah, because he's, he's momentarily positive about the, the appearance of this caravan. Yes, yes. I should imagine this will look quite nice once you've finished. What are you going to do? Get a priest in or just not bother? <laughs> Victor. Pretty intrigued, yet confused. And Mr. Sweeney happens to have a copy of the Psychic News. I mean, who buys... Because we all carry that it? around, don't we? Because Mr. Sweeney's off-the-cuff comment has intrigued Victor. I mean, he's got a copy of it. He seems to be someone who doesn't really read into this kind of theory. But obviously, he's got a copy of Psychic News. So he must be intrigued to somewhat of the uh, of afterlife or, you know, ghost schools. And on the front page, it says, Hell home on wheels, head south with a picture of the Meldrew home and the caravan on the front page. So, of course, this, this proceeds with Victor reading out the, the article. Psychic news? Yes, it gave me quite a turn when I first read it. I don't mind admitting. <laughs> Residents in Litchfield, Staffordshire, breathed a sigh of relief last week when a mobile home said to contain the spirit of Satan worshipper Mrs. Velda Bassett, finally left town after finding a surprise buyer in the home counties. The vehicle, which has been dubbed the most haunted caravan in Britain, has been associated with bizarre paranormal activity and there have been reports of Mrs. Bassett described as a cross between 
Julian Shepard and the late Jimmy Clitheroe <laughs> looking through the air and into neighbors' houses through the keyhole. I wouldn't take any of it seriously. Load of Tommy rot by the sound of it. The fact that this was owned by a Satan worshipper, Mrs. Velda Bassett. Uh, there's another Renwick name for you. Yeah, um, very much it's, so. It's, she's, she's passed over to the other side, so the fact that it's now in Victor's possession is a bit spooky. I mean, there's a touch of Starbound still about this episode. It's almost like it's the second part to Starbound with the unfamiliar element of spookiness. And I sort of do feel for Victor and Margaret in this moment because I'm not I'm not necessarily a, a believer in, in that kind of thing, but it would spook me out. I don't know if it would spook you out if you had this apparent haunted caravan that had made certain newspaper articles about haunted activity in the past would it put you off i used to be a passionate believer in ghosts and when i was a teenager i wanted to be a ghost hunter and i knew that if i was to understand how ghosts are powered i would need to understand some physics and so that led me into doing a physics degree and a phd both of which stripped me of any belief oh my god ghosts were possible i didn't know that was the backstory to your um yeah yeah, the amount of but science. part of it. It's, yeah. it's part of it. It's not entirely. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an astronomer, so I loved astronomy as well. So the two kind of converged, and then one just was truncated by um, an understanding of physics. But I love that. I love that it's described in this magazine as the most haunted caravan in Britain, as if there are others, as if there's a <laughs> spectrum of caravan hauntedness. I love that. Like, where are these others? I want to visit them. So in answer to your question, now it wouldn't put me off if if there was some demonstrable phenomena happening in these. I would just, I would love the research opportunities. I would love to spend time in a genuinely haunted house. Oh, I don't know. But I, I don't I, think they exist. So, well, um, I, I, I feel happen. like I could say that now. Yes, I, I wouldn't mind staying in a haunted house or caravan. But when it came to it, I'd absolutely wimp out. Uh, even though I'm very skeptical myself. Mr. Sweeney yeah. absolutely he laughs this off, doesn't he? Like he's all but encouraged it, but he's laughed it off. And I think, you know, he's the neighbor. He might it might not be his caravan, but there's still a haunted caravan next door to his home. So he should be concerned if he at That's all it. Reads he into... said it was this Velda Bassett woman was making entry into people's houses through the keyhole. Yeah. I mean he's got a keyhole as well. What if Velda got it wrong and went exactly. into the wrong house? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact his mother's just died as well, like, will be able to bring up the spirit of his mother as well and pay a haunting visit, you know. But... They describe this Velda woman as a cross between Gillian Shepherd and the late Jimmy Clitheroe. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've looked at a picture of Gillian Shepherd. I didn't, a but conservative I conservative party politician, but she looks quite fierce. That's that's a very one foot in the grave trope where there's a serious topic being discussed and they have to chuck in a funny comparison uh, mm. of someone from the past in politics or entertainment just to lighten yeah. the mood a bit. It's a bit like in Starbound where Mr. Sweeney was recounting his mother's stories of being abducted and it's quite a serious segment of the show and then he ends it with something like then she met Gloria Honeyford or, or they look like so-and-so and Gloria Honeyford I think it was Gloria Fanford, and it just it was, yeah. brings a bit of light comic relief to it to the end of a slightly spooky story. On the topic of vehicles, in a way, caravans, Mr. Sweeney does remind Victor that he's going to be doing some, um, as he's still up to for helping out for the Action for the Elderly charity that Mr. Sweeney seemingly runs or manages 
Victor seems like he's totally forgotten um, about this this favour he's committed to. And I think he's trying to get out of it. Or he's, he's, he's basically been cornered and Mr. Sweeney overtalks him as he usually does and says there's an old lady, not, not all with it. He needs to pick her up from the airport. And he's given a envelope with a key in and a name and address to Mr. Meldrew. And it's from Mrs. Akani of 29 Southfield Park. I thought that there could have been a funnier name. Mr. Renwick himself could have come up with a funnier address than that. I don't know why. It doesn't really do funny addresses. I've always, I've got a certain level of expectation for names from Renwick. I just thought Southfield Park wasn't amusing. Yeah, Let I don't know off. what his source of, uh, source of uh, street names is. Yeah. I can't even remember any others. What was the... Uh, where there where is did a... you get the Dead Man's Shoes from? That was Language Crescent, was that's it? That's funny. I, find, yeah, I think that's quite, quite funny. Language. Language. I can't think of any others, though. Language, I thought yeah. it was. Riverbank isn't terribly amusing. No, Wingate. it's also a bit weird as a street name as well. Oh, there's Wingate Drive and Wingate Crescent. Yeah. I, I mean, it is more names of people rather than road names I know. All Victor's got to do is collect this lady, take her back to her flat, help her settle in. These are the days of helping out in charities where you don't need a, a DBS check. I just mentioned in this day and age, you can just step in and help. And Mr. Sweeney, once again, just tries to put Victor's mind at ease about the caravan, you know, for God's sake, don't worry about this. And Victor's definitely concerned at this point, isn't he? He's looking at, he's outside the caravan at this point. And once Mr. Sweeney's gone, he he, he looks back at the caravan with some trepidation. Yeah. And there's bit, some, some caution. Sort yeah. of ominous music over it as he sort of peers his head back in to carry <laughs> on with the cleaning. Then we cut to night, don't we? Yeah, and straight away. We're still left with a shot of the caravan and the same really? ominous music as the camera sort of flies in. Oh, no, um, I... And then we cut to the inside of the house and see Margaret <laughs> sort of looking out. <laughs> saying there's some green slime oozing out from the wheel now. Yeah, she's definitely paranoid as well, isn't she? Just oozing out from under the wheel, like you were saying. And Victor just puts her mind at ease. This is Mrs. Ellsbury's cat had just been sick, so just calm down. So now it's, yeah, Margaret, role reversal. Margaret's freaking out, paranoid. Victor's more the calm one, and he's reading a copy of Caravanning Around England and Wales. Uh, I tried to look for that book online can't find anywhere so did i i couldn't find I just it because i mean i found um, hundreds of different types of book of that same topic but i really wanted to find that one i don't God, think I'm it's sad. a real book because there's no there's no name of the author on the front of the book so i think they've oh. just made a dust jacket and put it around a book so i suspect so yeah 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 caravanning around england and wales is the book um yeah it did it did so make me want uh, to, to to go on a little holiday i mean going abroad is becoming less and less likely at the moment so i have no problem with holidaying in in the the uk and i don't mind caravan trips or static caravan holidays it's not for everybody but margaret's dead against it even more so i mean she was against it before because it's this grotty old caravan now she knows it's apparently haunted is a definite no-no and victor's really trying to push this agenda of going down to dorset or somewhere margaret says she'd only take it to BG Head just to push the bloody thing off and ask Yeah, and then to... she just tells him to put the book away. Like, yeah. We're not going, put the book away. And how, like... can a, how can a caravan be haunted? It doesn't make any sense, as Victor says. <laughs> and then it's a, a bit of a reflection now on Mr. Swaney's weight, which is quite, quite poignant. I can't believe the size of him now, you know, next door, since his mother died. What death does yeah, to some the, people? Yeah, sort of physical effects of grief, and you know, people mm. that let themselves go, and then yeah, he goes over to pour himself a whiskey, I think, and turns the TV. Either he or Margaret turns the TV on. Yes, I think Margaret flicks the channel. 
Yeah, there's somebody on that's somehow trivialising death, and then that brings them on to sort of talking about everything that's wrong with the values of today, and Victor reiterates to Margaret that she just can't see it, and yeah. she sort of rolls her eyes and, and shakes her head. So they're, they're really clearly not getting on at this point. It's everything that's wrong with the values of today, Margaret. Like I said before, you just can't see it. It's not just, just a flit or a row or her uh, exploding at him or vice versa. There's, there's something running through them. Continuing theme, yeah. And did I hear Renwick's voice on the television advert, or did it just sound like Renwick? Oh, you may have done. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't pick that up. No, it, it sounded. Um, he's got quite a generic voice, though, hasn't he? So if you, if you know it's him, it's obviously him. But if not, I don't know. You wouldn't necessarily. Quite a geeky voice. A, a stereotypical sort of geeky kind of square voice. It's not mm. tending to sound mean, but it's, you can just tell when it's Renwick, can't you? But yeah, it is I know what you mean. Still yeah. generic, all the same. Yeah. The airport now. Yep. Victor Stock is... footage of a 747 landing. You, yeah. Yeah. I thought you might know that one because you live at the end of a, an airport. And I suppose you might become accustomed to different types of uh, airplanes and aircrafts coming I, down. I am now able to identify most types of aircraft, which is not something I ever thought I would be able to do because they fly quite lower over us. So, yeah. You may Very well hear good. some of them in this recording. Very good. Because the windows aren't perfectly sealed. <laughs> there are scenes of a busy waiting area inside the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we cut to Victor and he's making a sign. He's got he's got a bit of cardboard and a mark pen. Uh, and we, we, we see him writing Arcani on, on the yeah. on the card. And then he goes over to hold it up at the uh, at the arrivals gate. Yeah. We cut to the front view of Victor and we find that he's got his hands over the first and last letter and so it's spelling Khan. Classic mistaken identity isn't it? It's that I felt that yep. bit of comedy mix that was a bit beneath Renwick because that's very easy to do. I mean Victor's covering like I said both ends of the name so it's it looks like he's, he's calling out for a Khan rather than a Khani. And He did a similar thing in uh, Love Soup actually. I, I know you haven't seen that. Oh, you might no have I haven't. Now. Um, but there was this, uh, you know, how people put those banners out saying happy birthday. They'll just put them on, like, on yeah. a bridge somewhere random. Yeah. And it said like something like happy birthday, Charlotte. And one of the lead characters was having um, a, a brief relationship with a, a sort of Christian woman who was racked with guilt at the fact that she'd uh, attempted to, well, they, they were about to sort of have sex with each other. Um and so he agrees to just drive her to back to the station and she's obviously, she's in the passenger seat sort of praying for forgiveness. And in the wind, this uh, happy birthday Charlotte poster banner thing covers up the windscreen of the car completely. And all she can see in front of her is the word harlot, which she takes as a sign from God. <laughs> and then the car <laughs> crashes. It's a brilliant gag. It's kind of similar to this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, from what you've described, it's very, very similar. Yeah, but this um, actress is played by try and pronounce this Usha Patel. Okay, doesn't seemingly speak any English. This this character, and Victor obviously thinks this is Akani, Mrs. Akani, and uh, we shortly see an actual uh, the actual person he's supposed to pick up in a wheelchair, and she's being escorted by I think medics, and they're saying this we've got a diabetic coming through, and this person looks unconscious. And uh, meanwhile, he's got this Mrs. Khan, who's not supposed to have, in the, the back of the car, I think. Have I gone too far ahead? No, no, that's no. that's about right. And then, then we cut to a, 
rather rundown street. What did you say it was called? Um, imaginative. Oh God. It's, it's a slum street anyway. There's sort of it, bin bags everywhere, graffiti, burnt out cars. Well, did it? Did, did this? So it's a ground floor flat, and it reminded me of Albert's flat. And who will buy? Like very yeah, saying, basement flat. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, a basement flat's a basement flat, but it looked very, very yeah. um, close to Albert's. God rest his soul. Very similar. Maybe, maybe they even use the same street. Who knows? Um, Possibly. Yeah. But yeah, Victor's car pulls up. She's fallen asleep in the back, and her, her headband's sort of fallen over her eyes. Yeah. Um, and Victor sort of slams the door to wake her up. And she's already quite frightened at this point. It's not entirely clear to me why. He's wearing conveniently wearing uh, gloves, so it's like fingerprints can be covered. Uh, well, he's, mm. he's he's covering his tracks without realizing it, because True. yeah, he is yeah, he's, he's, he's kidnapping at the moment without realizing it. Mm. I don't know where this this obviously will more and more will be learned of this who this lady is, but she is terrified. And of course, I don't know why they wrote in her character falling asleep in the back because like you said i don't know if it's just to visually look like he's kidnapped her because obviously the she's like almost blindfolded at that point just to keep the lights out so it just visually looks like victor's causing this offense uh obviously without yeah i guess if she'd been awake all the way home she, she may have said something like we're going the wrong way or whatever so if she's asleep and only wakes up once they've arrived she can just immediately assume that she's I yeah. like how she immediately assumes she's been kidnapped rather than just been driven to the wrong place. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we see Victor's looming over her saying, this is where we have to get out now, and it looks quite sort of intense. <laughs> uh, and then sort of leads her down into this basement flat where she's clearly quite confused and scared. The windows are barred. She doesn't know where she is. And she begins sort of talking frantically in, in her native language. And yeah. Victor, of course, politely just nods along yeah and then he says he has to go and he's sort of waving a key which he's sort of interpreting as i'm gonna lock you in now goodbye and then off he goes and she sort of just sits quietly on the bed wondering what on earth just happened and why she's ended up in this weird flat that's not hers <laughs> poor woman yeah <laughs> we cut to the meldrew living room with uh there's a like a press briefing on on the meldrew's television we don't often see the television switched on where we can actually see what they're watching. It certainly happens a couple of times. And yeah, a... the Executioner's song when we see Lorraine, Kelly and um, and David on the big TV. And Mr. Room. Sweeney's doppelganger in an yeah, episode. Yeah, of course. Skip, yeah. Skip Herberman, yeah. Skip, yeah. yeah. Well, on this television is a press briefing led by D.I. Rickles, played by Norman Eshley. He's been in The Bill, amongst several other things, but I recognise him from The Bill, personally. And we learn that this this lady has officially been reported as being kidnapped. So it's linked to, to Victor's unfortunate error. So Rickles is brief in the press, live on the news with uh, Mr. Khan, which is the son of, obviously, this lady, Mrs. Khan. This is played by Arif Hussein. I didn't really do much more research than that. And this is the son, is one of the wealthiest businessmen in Britain. So it's assumed a, a ransom for a large amount is expected. And Rickles speculates whoever kidnapped Mrs. Carr must have been a very sophisticated operator. With a brief pause, and we cut to Victor slouched on the sofa, asleep, blissfully unaware of the crime he's um, accidentally committed. <laughs> Again, yeah. <laughs> the phone rings, and Margaret comes in from the garden, watering can in hand, and she's answering it. It's, it's somebody called Jim. She oh, I thought sort of... it was Jean. Was it Jean? Did I get Jim? that wrong? I it thought probably it was, was... Warboys, yeah. 
It probably was Jim. I thought she said Jim. Maybe. I, I often mishear this. have to this. go back and listen. It's one, it doesn't matter anyway, does it? It's one of the two. Whoever it is, she knows them and is quite friendly with them. It's just, it's just because she's surprised to hear from this person and she doesn't. She repeats the name back. So I thought if it was Mrs. Warboys, I don't know. It, like I said, it doesn't matter. She stood over Victor. Out of nowhere, she sprinkles water on Victor's crotch area. Just a small amount as she walks back off into the kitchen just to retrieve a phone number. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The sort of gag is that she's been out in the garden. She comes back in with a watering can. She she says to whoever's on the phone, I've been trying to bring some wilting specimens back to life and then waters Victor. (laughs) It's another dig at him. Yeah. She's really not very happy with him at the moment. Don't tell me I've reached that stage now. (laughs) And Victor almost immediately wakes up and he he goes into the kitchen like a lost puppy to speak to Margaret about this wet patch. I think he feels he's reached the incontinent stage of his life and. Margaret just interrupts him as she sort of says in a blase fashion, oh, I just gave you a sprinkle just to wake you up. And he's pretty livid. That it just so happens. He's incensed, that, yeah. Yeah. All his trousers are, are at the dry cleaners, like all four other pairs. So he's only got this pair of trousers. So not the most organized thing to do. Always have spare trousers. You know, all your washing in at the same time. I, I Definitely. Don't the dry cleaners as well. Or just in the washing machine, I think he basically meant. Do they not have a washing machine then? If it's dry cleaning. They do, yeah. Good. It's um, next. It's to the uh, right yeah, of the back do, door. Yeah, yeah. That little bit there. Yeah. Um, they usually put the bin in front of it. Yeah. Um, but, but in the absence of a tumble dryer, I guess. So yeah. I guess he can't really take his trousers off. I mean, he could. He must have um, some. I don't know. Even if he's not going anywhere, some pajama bottoms. I don't know. Doesn't matter, I suppose. Or something or other, but yeah. But whatever happens, he needs to get his trousers dried in some fashion or other. And instead of going to find a hairdryer or something sensible, he decides to go and sort of grow up a radiator in the hallway instead. <laughs> and this At is one point, of course. <laughs> you know who comes his, in, uh, Betty. Betty comes in to witness him sort of thrusting at this uh, this radiator in the hallway and he doesn't stop he doesn't realize how ridiculous he looks it's completely oblivious to it this is carries on this is his fault in it because this is the first (laughs) peculiar encounter for betty we assume Mm. the first and he's just happily continuing to thrust up against this radiator while she looks on it just smacks of of a patrick reaction or maybe a pippa reaction and he's Mm. trying to be polite back and he's still I mean, this just wouldn't happen. You'd stop instantly, wouldn't you? But then, it, you'd then at you least gotta... explain, wouldn't you? But then, you know, yeah. this is Victor. He's, he's he's very unaware of how he comes across to people, mm. which is one of the reasons I think Margaret gets so frustrated with him. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't think about how the things he does are perceived or received. He yeah. just goes through life doing whatever the hell he likes. It must be very freeing. Yeah, Betty is around. Uh, to just drop off a key for an emergency and um, I think the, the code for the alarm in case of any emergencies they need to let themselves in. Margaret thanks for them for the dinner, offers a cup of tea, Betty walks in again distracted by Victor as he's continuing to dry himself against the radiator. Uh, Margaret very envious of renting this cottage, I suppose probably more envious of the fact that they're going to this lovely cottage whilst they've got this haunted caravan so it's really building up in her mind now I think and Betty is leaving some contact details just to say, look, what, what's happened there? So she's placed an, the envelope so she, with the... She happens to have the letter. She she happens to have the letter containing the confirmation of their booking from the lady they've booked from. So she, instead of writing down her number for Margaret, she just leaves yeah. the letter because it contains the contact details. Yeah. And she just puts it on the wall unit 
yeah. near the window in the living room. It says Mr. and Mrs. McVitie, 17 Riverbanks, some weird scrawl of a... Which we can't, there. yeah, conveniently tell what the town or city, fictional town or city is. I've looked things that sort of like looks like sort of U I S H something something something. Yeah, very doctor's but, handwriting, isn't it? Very script. Very yeah. Can't and quite. I love the fact that in all while all this is happening, you can still see Victor and the radiator through the glass door, <laughs> the glass window, looking through to the hall. So he's still there. Does that remind very, you of of we have put a living in the tomb with the old lady oh, staring Norma, through. Auntie Norma, of course, yeah. Not that she was thrusting, <laughs> she was just staring, thinking she couldn't be seen. Yeah, that was yeah, this very is, creepy. Is, <laughs> but what I what I love is, obviously, foreground Betty and Margaret are casually talking. Yeah, like I said, Victor in the background behind the window. I think what makes this funny is he's not peering through in a creepy way. He's very much keeping an eye on his, on his hips or his thrusting motion, which mm. I think is very... It's a bit more subtle. It would be too obvious if he just stared through the window almost towards the camera or the audience. So I think it's, that's what makes it funny for me. Blissfully unaware yeah, even, how... Even before sort of Betty went into the living room and like you, where you said she sort of looked back at Victor before she walked into the living room. Victor yeah. was looking away from her towards the front door. It wouldn't have been as funny as if, if, if she... If he was looking towards her. Yeah, definitely wouldn't have been as funny. It's that, and, that complete oblivion is, is what makes it funny. And this is on Victor. I mean, this is his doing. If he wonders why the, the neighbours are going to act weird around him, this is an example where he could have changed the way he presented himself. But there you go. It's, it's done now. The damage yeah. has been done. Has he learnt nothing from living I next know, door to Patrick? Lawrence? I know. We, we stick up for Victor most of the time. But I just think this is... I mean, Vic, Margaret's the one that's watered his crotch but uh, nevertheless he could have um he could have explained it away and laughed it off and said the wife playing a practical joke as ever moving on to margaret she's very she, she's very excited on behalf of betty and derek's trip away to the point that betty if i understand this right she offers to contact the landlady who owns the cottages who's got a few on the you know advertised for to be let she offers to contact them i think she offers to write I don't know if just to ring them that day or... But I just found it funny how choices for holiday bookings were so limited then. If you want to go on holiday now, well, you can't right now. But in normal times, you would have thousands of destinations to hand on the internet. But Margaret and Victor, they're just relying on the neighbours' uh, own booking. You know, they, they, they're not even got a catalogue to look at. So they're just relying on these cottages in this specific location to be up to scratch. So I just the times yeah. have changed so dramatically in the last fifteen years alone. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, nowadays you'd be all over TripAdvisor and looking at screenshots oh, and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have, you'd have a short list of a hundred places to go. Yeah. But in the meantime, she's she's left this address and Margaret hasn't seen it. Margaret walked off back into the kitchen whilst Betty was explaining that she's just going to leave the letter for her to contact her herself. Yeah. Um. So she hasn't seen that, or perhaps even heard that that's happened. Yeah. Um. And then we quickly cut. Um, to the hallway and Victor answers the door and it's a yellow pages being delivered by someone. Yeah. Um, and he suddenly notices his pride and joy has been stolen from the front lawn. Oh, oh what the hell is it now? It's gone! What's gone? I thought it was much lighter in the front room. Ring the police! Ring Interpol! A delayed response in it almost. He uh, mm. He is absolutely dumbfounded. It's only, it's only when he gets to the kitchen, he yeah, he stopped. It brings out another moment where he's at the front of his house. I was expecting him to say, you bastards. But he doesn't say that, does he? What does he shout out? You, you bloody thieving yobs. What have you done with my caravan? 
Yeah. It'd be bastard is always funny. Where his caravan used to be. I love that he says bastard or bastard in in such a such a powerful way. I love it. So does he say bastard at the end? No, no, no not there, not no. here. No. I love Vic, no, I love Victor's bastard. You thieving bloody obs. What have you done with my caravan? Ring police. Ring Interpol. Ring Interpol. <laughs> he is livid. I mean, the next morning. I think it's the next morning. More of this bleak music's being played as Victor says he draws the curtains open as just remind the amount of sunlight on his face it just reminds him of the stolen caravan a touch of starbound music you know not the same but very similar and uh, Victor spots that envelope that Betty had left we were talking earlier about the, the the photo the bizarre photo frame with the seemingly nothing in it in the print I just wonder if that little black and white photo was Victor a young Victor or there was a picture of a, a presumably a young Richard Wilson uh, next to it as well. That's quite interesting. About that as well, yeah. It kind of looked similar to the one he has in Things That Simple Anymore. Yeah. At the, um, uh, at the reunion. Victor um, picks up this letter and it's, it's conveniently addressed to Mrs. M. And the letter it de- details a two bedroom cottage near. Did it say Cromer? Cromer, yeah, Norfolk, Cromer. North Norfolk. Victor's a little, um, a little peeved, I think, that Margaret's apparently gone ahead and booked this holiday, you know, whilst initially poo pooing his suggestion. Um, I don't know, it's obvious at this point if there's a potential mix-up going on, but obviously they've not caught on to of this uh, mix-up that we're going to find out later that what Victor's reading isn't, well, it's not worth talking about now because it'll be spoiling what we're talking about later. Yeah, I'm sure some people got it, but it certainly wasn't abundantly clear that that's what had happened. Yeah, because we, we obviously see Betty place that envelope and she did that with the intention of, it just had the person's address details, didn't it? But Betty was always going to contact this landlady for them anyway, wasn't she? So why would she have no, left that? She, she was she left it because she, so her first idea was to contact them mm. for her. No, the, her first idea, in fact, was to just give uh, Margaret this lady's number. Yeah. And then in the earlier scene, she says, "Actually, I've got I've got the letter with me now. You can contact her yourself. It's got her address on it." Okay, yeah. And then, of course... So she's left the letter, yeah, and because, yeah. of course, it's Mrs. M. Victor didn't bother to read the envelope when he pulled it out that said McVitie on it, so he just read the letter, and it said Mr. and Mrs. M. M, yeah. Um, and then he's like, well, you didn't waste much time then. You've booked it. Yeah. Good job Thanks there. Thanks very much. And, of course, Margaret's surprised as well, because she just assumes that Betty must have contacted her on their behalf. And then the ladies got back with with a, with some dates. But how quickly though does in Margaret's mind that's a quick turnaround, isn't it? Because it was only Very, the day yeah. before or a couple of days ago that she's contacted this landlady for them, and already there's a letter that's been sent back. So Margaret, unless this is like a week later, let's presume it is. Let's just get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, anyway, so Margaret does lo- love the, the idea of this trip away. You know, she's reading the same letter that Victor's got, so they both think it's you know, intending for them. And it's the, the phone first rings. time she's cracked a smile in this whole episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, she just needs a good holiday. Sometimes you need a good holiday and it will cheer us up. Mm. And we're interrupted by the, the, the phone ringing and it's somebody called Stan who bears some good news. I've not heard of this Stan before. I think it's just a neighbour down the, down the, down the way. Uh, the caravan's been sighted and he's discovered it and it's at Archie's Scrapyard. I mean, Victor is absolutely thrilled. He's this is probably the first time he's probably pleased this episode as well. And we see a flash of sort of knowing on Margaret's face at this point. Yeah, yeah what's she been up to? It's uh, yeah. The Archie is played by Ian Redford, so we do cut to the scrapyard in a moment. 
Victor doesn't quite understand why this Archie needs to speak to Margaret. And it becomes very apparent that this has been all arranged. This has been engineered by Margaret herself just to get rid of this caravan. Quite cruel. I mean, you know, the fact she's had this, because this is another sort of, Margaret's tried to arrange for the caravan to be just taken away by Archie. But there's a lovely mix-up again later, isn't there, with all things caravans, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, She's looking very sheepish now. When, mm. when Victor's saying, who can you think of that would want to do a thing like that? And we just see Margaret <laughs> sort of, she sculpts back into the kitchen at this point. So it's clear that she's behind this at this point. Yeah. And Victor utters uh, the phrase, some bastard towed away from my house. But that was a great bastard, wasn't it? It was a brilliant one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'd get to just ring somebody you don't normally ring a business up and say, some bastard's done this. I believe you've got a caravan of mine down there that some bastard turned away from my house. <laughs> when Victor finished that call, like I said, he wants to, Archie needs to speak to Margaret, which if you were Margaret, you're thinking, what are you doing, Archie? Don't drop me in it now. And Margaret covers it up quite well, doesn't she? Making out he's just updating Margaret on his mother's health or something. I don't know. Victor is off. Well, I think the he doesn't actually go to collect it. It comes, it's delivered to him because Archie says, "I've got to return it." You know, he's asked yeah, for it. So it quite clear that he wanted it back. So. Yeah, this becomes a legal matter eventually. So he has to very much return it. So Margaret finishes the call, seemingly a bit pissed off now. I think she starts on the painting around the back of the house, obviously due to the cock up, Victor. He's quite surprised, isn't he? He's, he's he's quite surprised that she's going to do it herself, and he's like, "Well, be careful going up ladders." Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, he returns back to the, the caravan thing, saying this is the stress of this is setting off his stomach again, and then we get another blast of Hawaii Hawaii Five-0. Five-0. <laughs> Funny recurring joke there. Brilliant way to end that scene. <laughs> yeah. I think it might be later on in the day. Archie's returned the caravan, um, and the, the, the twist is it's been crushed. It's been delivered as is. I don't know what goes through people's minds to think that they want this back, but he's just being, he's, he, I think he thinks he's playing it by the book. He said, like, you did ask for it back. This is, you know, this is yours. And Victor is absolutely dumbfounded, isn't he? But he's very quick to realise it is, in fact, not his caravan because his caravan uh, was sort of white with a yellow streak, I think. And this particular caravan, that even it's crushed, he can spot a, a blue, somehow a blue pattern. And I think he does very well to recognise that it's not his, because that bit of blue he sees could be any part of the, of the caravan. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd be caravan. that confident in yeah. identifying my own caravan on the basis of one blue stripe. Yeah, um, and just rather conveniently, just to back Victor up, a police van is seen around the corner towing Victor's caravan back. And it's a bit like how their car got... These things happened to the Meldrews, where their car was returned. The Honda was returned when it was stolen in uh well found in finland. finland so here we are again another vehicle's return to the meldridge but this time victor's very happy to see this caravan margaret is at the window sighing in disbelief and very disappointed i'd imagine it's back yeah again, she's back watching from one. the living room window just sort of oh no it's back yeah <laughs> later in the day we're slightly spoon-fed Victor bemoans the Ruddy Smith brothers on the Canal Side estate. So he suspects mm. that they might have been behind it because they're 
called Gordon's a victim, a family of gangsters. Yeah. That's a, at this point, a bit of a mystery at the stage of the caravan. Like, who would... I think, so, I don't think it's really a mystery. Like, where did the second caravan come from, I guess, yeah. is the question. This is it, which um, will be... Which uh, is revealed was later revealed on. later on um, with, with Derek, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but even, you know, Margaret's still sort of ranting and raving in the bedroom. She's been painting in there and she says that it doesn't matter if it's back. I'm still not going in it. You yeah. can go where you like in uh, your chamber of horrors, she calls it. Yeah. But... yeah uh, so Victor um... quite rightly points that, so once again, I've just got to do what you want then. Yeah, uh, which is not... go on this cottage holiday, and eventually just he acquiesces. Why um, can't they meet in the middle? Would they, it be that got... much of an ordeal? It's like she's such. A, I'm, I'm really slagging Margaret off in this episode, and I shouldn't be, but she's such a bloody hypocrite. She she could say right, I'll do three nights within the caravan, but we're going to do two weeks in the in a proper cottage. That is me. That yeah. is more than meeting in the middle for Victor, because it'd be just a few days, like he like he's asked. By the way, she's the painting of the house has she's gone one step further and like so she's painting the the um the window frames. So Victor's obviously in Victor style, got it all over his face, just as she warned him to not go too close. It's all over his face. Um, he doesn't seem bothered by that. And she's trying to I don't um, think he's noticed, does he? He didn't no. <laughs> notice the um toilet blue loo stuff that he put all over his face in uh, I can't remember the episode now. Is it Hole in the Sky? Oh yeah, I think he got covered in toilet freshener. Yeah, <laughs> thinking it was soap. He's yeah, going in the bath now, anyway, isn't he? So he, he, off he, there. he concedes yeah, and agrees to go it. away. Yeah, he's he's yeah. He, he all right. Keep the happy wife, happy life. Yeah, goes into the bathroom. Uh, he wants a, a long soak in the bath. He light his aromatherapy candles, and uh, he does light a couple of candles and throws the matchstick down the toilet, and. Uh, and then there's an immediate explosion from the, the toilet because Margaret puts spirit down there, which is very irresponsible, but visually very, very funny. Because I've said this before, there's something about Richard Wilson, a physical comedy actor, when he's like confronted with something dangerous and he sort of arches his back quite in exaggerated fashion. And it's just... He's very good at it. Yeah, yeah it's, I don't know what else to, I can say, and that's very funny. He, he, he does react brilliantly to these things. Yeah. And it's visually a very good gag. So we're in Derek and Betty's living room now. We've never been in the um, old trenches house so much as now. I've, I feel like we've we've not often seen many images. It's very different layouts. It's definitely more modern than the Meldry's house. It's in line with that it's age a, difference. It's a lot warmer looking. Mm. Um, certainly a lot warmer than, than, than when... Pippa and Patrick had it where it was quite sort of old world clinical. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, we, we only really saw the living room in uh, Beware the Trickster on the Roof when they were selling the house and in um, The Wisdom of the Witch. Yeah. Uh, when they were moving out. So we don't yeah. really see anything other than the kitchen and Patrick's office usually. Yeah. But they've decorated it quite nicely. It's quite colourful. It's quite expressive. It's obviously an artist that lives there, I think. Um, well, that's true, actually. Yeah, that's very he's trying true. to operate, similar to Victor again, or, uh, he's trying to operate a piece of machinery. It's not working. He's trying to operate, operate the video recorder, um, and it's apparently recorded wrestling when he wanted Verdi's Requiem. Have and you then, watched Verdi's Requiem? I have not. No, nor me. 
I don't know. Be- Betty um, comes in, doesn't she? Seems a bit she's disturbed. She's looking quite unnerved, yeah. yeah. And apparently she heard a scream next door, which, of course, was Victor sort of recoiling at the flaming toilet. Um, <laughs> Thin walls again. They can hear everything. Yeah, very, very. Um, yeah, yeah she just can't hear the words get... asshole think he's playing at, for example. <laughs> yes, just that, isn't it? <laughs> and, of course, she's she's all of these stories she's she's seen written about Victor, like I said, this planted the seed of paranoia. So anything from here on out that seemed it seems weird especially victor thrusting up against the radiator moment is just gonna change things forever now in her mind when i was around there yesterday <laughs> spit it out well he appeared to be having sex with a radiator derek does try to take Betty's mind off her anxieties. Listen, if you were Mrs. Bithery's parents, three doors along, you'd have something to worry about. How's that? Well, apparently they just stopped off on their way back from holiday to visit their daughter. Parked outside here, spanking new caravan. Someone nicked it, ended up in the crusher. <laughs> What's the mentality of people these days? You tell me. You've heard Mrs. Blithery before, haven't we? I'm sure we've heard seen Mrs. Blithery in uh, The Man Who Blew Away. She was the one that was jogging by the garages when Victor was pulling out a false limb. Yeah. That's the caravan cube that Victor got back. All because Um, of Margaret, though. All because of Margaret. All because of Margaret. Yeah, it's usually Victor that engineers these ridiculous scenarios, but this is all on Margaret this time. Derek shows us the horrors of owning video cassette tapes back in the day where they tangle and. Oh, God. We've always. He does bloody machines. What a coup though, for, what a coup by Renwick to get Tim Brooke Taylor on there, you know? And yeah. it's a shame we don't see them again, do we? No. I wonder no, why. By the time you... series six started, they'd gone. Yeah, so I guess that's the running gag, isn't it? That no one can survive living next to the Meldrews. Like, Except they're, they're Nick Swaney, who's just uh, he is their constant. Yeah. yeah. Orbits is... them, doesn't he? Because he moves into the other side in, <laughs> oh, in yeah. um is it Tales of Terror? That's or, brilliant, isn't it? No, the Dawn this, of Man, rather. There's this long goodbye, you know, cuddle. It's been nice, to, you know, knowing you. Sort of. <laughs> and then, <laughs> he even <laughs> moves the gate, the, 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 the yeah. fence gate between the properties. Yeah, that's very what Mr. Swain. He's always wanted an end terrace house. That's the dream. And yeah. he's accomplished it. Anyway, we're at Mrs. Khan's apartment now. She's attempted to break out, not before Victor arrives back to, to bring her back in. Uh, he thinks she's popped out and forgotten her keys, and he, he's trying to empathise with that. Oh, don't tell me you forgot your keys. I've been there before, sort of thing. Mentions um, Mr. Laverick and his, yeah. his new lock's been fitted. That's what I was thinking. Mr. Laverick from Affair of the Holy Lady, I think, isn't it? Yeah, Where that's right, he yeah. recounts the fitted locks. Um, wouldn't we think by now that Mr. Swaney would at least check in with Victor, maybe find out how this old lady is getting on, because I feel like, he would also drop in and say, "Oh, how are you doing, Mrs. Akani? Oh, you're not Mrs. Akani. You're Mrs. Car. You're well. You're someone totally different." He may well, but I mean, I get the impression that he, he you know, never met him before. A lot of old ladies. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't have to. And he's, he's entrusted Victor with this job. And Victor, as far as Nick is concerned, did the job, dropped her off. She seemed <clears> a bit jittery, but she was otherwise fine. Yeah. As far as Nick's concerned, the job's sort of done. I'm sure he'll call around eventually. Yeah, is, is his intention, but and Victor's there now. She's clearly in some distress. Yeah, um, sort of talking in in her language, and Victor sort of nodding and smiling, and she she musters up some English and just asks him if he will call her son for her. Yes, and he, he agrees to do that immediately. Yeah. 
after he returns home. Does he so does he ring her son at that house? Oh no, he does it when he gets back home. Where does he call from? Does he call from that he house? He eventually or calls from Derek's from, house. No, no. He he goes to Derek. So we, with the the scene next is Margaret attempting to make a call on the new phone. Oh, that's and it. And he just makes these battleship noises. Yeah. So she sort of aborts the call. Victor then comes home. They're about ready to go for their holiday. The car's been serviced, which is important shortly. The phone's absolutely knackered, according to Margaret. So he goes next door to Derek that's right. That's very house. Yeah, yeah. Disables the alarm. Yeah. Dials out the phone number given to him by Mrs. Khan. The son answers and he says, I carried out a little job. She's perfectly safe and well. Very sort of ransomy language he decides to use. <laughs> And we don't see the other side of the phone call, but we do see that Victor's been getting a bit of verbal down the phone from this guy. And eventually he just hangs up and then we cut to Mr. Khan. Yeah. He says, I just couldn't stand the sound of his voice. It's OK. I think we've got a trace. Yep, that's it, lads. We're in business. <laughs> so we know at this point something's coming. Yes. I think by now, if you're watching this for the first time, you, you're probably going to look ahead and go... Poor Derek and Betty. Um, if you, I mean, if you're reading into things, you, well, not even reading into things. If you can see that Victor's made a call from their line, you must know that that's exactly where the police are going to head. We cut to a very early hours of the morning, ten to three, in fact. The Meldrews have taken a a good three and a half hour. Well, they were three and a half hours along in traffic on the hard shoulder with with passerbyers or traffic driving past, people laughing at them, which is very very mean, I think. Margaret, very perplexed why Victor still uses the same garage to get his car fixed because clearly whatever work had done to it wasn't good enough. And I don't know if it's I still. I wonder if it was the same uh, garage where he. Yeah, the, the other Mr. Laverick. Um, in, uh, twin brother. Victor Meldrew, the Crimson Avenger, comes in <laughs> to get his car done. But again, in the sort of opposite way around, Victor's quite chirpy at this point. He's like, it's fine, we're here. And it's Margaret, again, the one that's ranting and raving. Yeah, very, very uh, sort of persistent role reversal here. It's very much like Dreamland, this episode for me. Strange, isn't it? It's very strange. Why you go back to that fly-by-night garage when one of them had to look up carburetor in the dictionary? (laughs) Painting the picture how inept this mechanic is, but maybe Victor is quite loyal to some workmen, uh, like the McKendrick twins. I don't know if the McKendrick twins are known to be shoddy, but he seemed quite friendly with them. They're a bit like the O'Reilly workforce in faulty towers i mean are they just really unreliable but friendly i don't know maybe yeah. they get the job done to some standard or other i think to be honest victor's the kind of person that would rather have work that's a little bit shoddy that he knows he's going to be a little bit shoddy rather than cheap yeah rather than expecting perfection and not getting it yeah and then having to moan at people so maybe that's why like you were saying, though, Victor's looking on the bright side a bit more. At least the handbrake didn't give way, and they head off to bed. Margaret again snoring, which is keeping Victor up, like much like the previous scenes, um, which will give give up a well-rounded gag coming up. But Victor once again finds a spare room to um, to tuck into, and shortly, very shortly after, Betty joins him. Now this is just insane, but Victor is found. At one point, not only sharing a bed with Betty, but also with Derek, because it means the very early early hours of the morning. It, it, you're thinking, why are they up? Well, 
Derek has just gone to check the back door as locked because that's how Victor and Margaret left the door. How did they not cross paths? Well, it must be a large cottage with various entrance points to get up the stairs. I don't know. But they were very, very lucky to not bump. Well, Victor and Margaret, very lucky or unlucky, however you look at it, to not bump into Derek. And Mm. Betty was, I don't know, just in the bathroom or something. Crazy. And yeah, and it's. You see a traffic driving past where the headlight sort of lights up the whole room briefly, which you think, why have they done that? But it's just so it gives Derek a chance to get a glimpse of Victor in bed, just gawping straight back at him. Because what else do you do in that moment? I suppose what, what I can't even, I mean, this would never happen. But <laughs> in a comedy, what else can Victor do? But he manages to sneak out of the bed very subtly without causing too much of a disruption. smiling at the man he's just found himself in bed with in this really yeah. creepy way as the sort of headlight sweeps across his face. And bear in mind... Sally, he... Derek closes his eyes again and then once he's reopened them, realising what the hell he's just seen, like you say, Victor has just sort of skulked out of the bottom of the bed and he's kind of sort of on the floor in a sort of crab-like way trying to skulk <laughs> out of the room. He's I guess so the gag gangly. here is that the bathroom door and the door that exits the room, they're, they're both together. And he, yeah. he he tries to leave, but ends up in the bathroom instead in the ensuite. Now, that reminds me of series one. I can't remember the name of the episode where Victor befriends an artist, um, nudist. She lives with her father, who's suffering with a bit of dementia, I think. He walks yeah, out. Yeah, he, he thinks he's walked out to leave the house, but he's actually walked into the downstairs toilet. I'm going out now. I'm going out of this house. And I may not bother ever coming back again. Goodbye, Doreen. <laughs> That's the downstairs toilet he's walked into. <laughs> he's never got it right yet. <laughs> In this instance, Victor doesn't know that, but oh, poor, poor bugger. All because of the snoring, you know. Like, and, and again, it's not Margaret's fault, but it's another Margaret reason. A Margaretism that has caused some stress for Victor. And like I said, he's ended up in the bathroom. God, Betty and Derek have both now experienced something peculiar, to say the least, to do with Victor. The Betty one, Victor could have helped, but this one, this is just a very unfortunate cock up. No pun intended with that. But, and, you know, and I think it might be a good point to leave. Well, a good point to end the episode. I think you were helping me decide where should we stop? Where should we end part one? And this is quite good. It's a, like you said, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. What's he going to do? Um, how's he going to get out of this one? But yeah. yeah, especially now Betty's working up to read. She's got the light on. There's no way he can just quietly skulk away now. He's, he's trapped in that ensuite. Oh, that's the thing. He's saying, yeah, she's, yeah, like you said, he can't even crawl out to leave. She's just, that, gone three in the morning she's reading a book with the light on poor Derek he's just trying to get to sleep here that's really unsociable isn't it yeah yeah I mean you go to the other you go to another room don't you or you just get a little torchlight but now the the entire room is lit up now just for Betty to um get back to sleep well that's great that that'll end part one of Endgame quite an unusual feel to one foot so far looking forward to picking up again next week I'd just like to thank you, Ben, for joining me. And you'll be back next week to help me finish off this final ever special. Very sad it's the final special because there is only six 30-minute 
episodes plus a comic relief short and that is it no more if you'd like to get in contact please email one foot in the podcast at gmail.com ever present on twitter at one foot in the pod appreciate all of you who uh, regularly contact me to give me some nice feedback ben if anybody would like to contact you if you'd like to give your twitter handle out i'm at radio quiet all one word so do quiz ben on his on his thoughts not that he's you'd be giving them throughout this podcast but perhaps uh any, <laughs> I'm any, happy to provide more <laughs> anything we might have missed so far do you get in touch or just give us your thoughts thank you very much for listening take good care and we'll see you next time cheers ben cheers